Let us pray. Lord, today may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight, for you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I wrote today's message while sitting in my home office watching it snow during the great blizzard of 2010. The morning after, I was still there and I was editing my sermon and I looked out and I saw the snow on the trees and I saw the snow on the lawn and I thought to myself, man, in spite of such a ferocious storm, it was really a beautiful sight. And yet here I was, still in my pajamas, sipping on some orange juice, making notes on a passage of God's word where Paul is talking about the evil, dark world and spiritual forces of wickedness. But you know, on that morning, as I sat there from where I sat, life seemed perfect. Life seemed beautiful. Life seemed peaceful. It was hard for me to imagine that I am, in reality, living in a war zone. It might be hard for you to realize that too, friends, that you are in reality living in a war zone. But we are. Although today your family may kind of resemble a Norman Rockwell painting, the things that you cannot put down on that canvas, things like your thoughts or your struggles or your fears or your doubts or your dreams or your goals, they are in the midst of a fierce battle. And from the time we wake up in the morning until our head hits that pillow at night, we are engaged in a hard-fought and not easily won battle. It's the same for all of us. You and I, friends, whether we want to believe it or not, live in a war zone. Every moment and every day, there are things happening all around you that you cannot see with a natural eye, but they are nonetheless all too real. Now, I'm not talking about ghosts and goblins, but I am talking about what Paul made very clear in that reading that Sue shared with us a little bit ago. He said, and let me remind you, he said, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, friends, Paul says that there is an unseen world all around us that exists. And this isn't the first time in the book of Ephesians that Paul talks about it. Now, you can back up into chapter 1, and he starts by talking about how every ruler and every authority and every power and every dominion, and his point is that Jesus is superior to every one of those that exists. He is the name above all names. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Jesus is all in all. But here's my major point. You see this next screen. We are engaged in a spiritual battle, and without God's help, we will lose. Let me say that again. We are engaged in spiritual battle, and without God's help, we'll lose. And if some of you are sitting out there today and saying, uh, what battle? <laughs> Man, you, you may have already lost. If you don't understand this, I hope you understand it before we're done this morning. 
God has power, though, over every ruler, every authority, every dominion, but we don't. Listen again to what is said in God's Word. It says, be strong in the Lord. It says, be strong in His mighty power. And it says to put on the full armor of God. Why? So that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. See, it is only through God's power that you and I can even expect to win the spiritual battle of life. If you enter the battlefield alone, friends, here's my word for you. Good luck. Good luck. Because there's no telling what will happen if you try to take on the spiritual forces of darkness by yourself. But if you enter that battle each and every day in his power, you are absolutely, positively guaranteed to win. A little further in our Bible, in, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, it, it says, You are from God and have overcome them. He's talking about false spirits. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one that is in this world. Now, some of you might already be wondering, what are you talking about? What exactly is a spiritual battle? What's this spiritual warfare? What does it look like? What does it feel like? Let me give you some examples. Every time you are presented with the opportunity to entertain a lustful thought, you have entered a spiritual battlefield. Every time you have the chance to do something mean or vindictive, you are on the battlefield. Every time you have the chance to say something hurtful or nasty, you are in the midst of a battle. Every time you toy with the notion that you are just a little bit better than most people you know, you are surrounded by the enemy forces. Every time you encounter a person in need, you are engaged in spiritual combat. I can't say it any clearer than this, friends. Life is a spiritual battlefield, and there is a force at work in this world right now that does not want any of us to succeed. There is a force at work in this world that does not want you to live for Jesus. There is a force at work in this world that does not want you to minister to other people in the name of Jesus. There is a force in this world that does not want you to reflect God's love and mercy and grace to those people that are close to you or far away. And that force will do whatever it takes to make sure you don't do what God wants you to do. Now, some of you may already be thinking, hold it, I did not sign up for this. Maybe so. But when that doctor grabbed you by the ankles and smacked you on the behind, you were drafted. Now, let me make this perfectly clear. Our enemy might be strong, but our Savior is stronger. I have read to the end of this book. I don't want to give it away. I mean, that's not a nice thing to do, you know, to read the entire book and give it away at the ending. But I feel compelled to do this. The devil loses. Jesus wins in the end. I mean, he is utterly defeated, demolished, smashed, bashed, 
whatever word you want to put in there. He has been in the cage match and met his master. He has absolutely no power in your life, so you don't have to sit around and moan and groan about, oh, poor me, the devil is oppressing me. That is unless you've forgotten something. This is true if you have on the full armor of God. That's what I want to talk about this morning. Here's my next point. All you need to do is put on the full armor of God. Now, Paul, of course, was describing a Roman soldier. When he wrote this book of Ephesians, he was in jail in Rome, and he was probably chained ankle to ankle with a Roman soldier. So when he began to think of spiritual battles, he no doubt had that Roman soldier uh, in mind. Now, each item I'm going to talk about parallels a behavior, something we need to do in order to experience the fullness of God's strength. The emphasis is not on the item of armor, or even what it all symbolizes. It really has to do with a behavior that you and I need to exhibit in order to have that full armor of God on. So let's take a look. Here's the very first one. It is the belt of truth. The belt of truth. And you see a picture there of a Roman soldier with that belt on. For a long time, I interpreted this to mean the truth, as in the truth of God. But if you look at the scriptures, it does not say the truth. It does not say put on the belt of the truth. It does not use a, defin a definite article here in the Greek. He says, stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around you. Now, you can interpret this as being truthfulness or sincerity of heart. Paul is talking about behavior that you and I ought to exhibit. That's truthful living, truthful thinking, truthful speaking. He's talking about being honest people. Now, a few years ago, I was consulting a church that was having some internal problems. And one of the church leaders, I think it might have been the chairman of the Board of Elders, came to me in our, our, our time together to discuss a problem. And he, he told me all about this problem. And when his time was up, he said to me, by the way, our pastor is going to come and talk to you about this later. When he comes, would you please pretend like you hearing this for the very first time? Basically, he was telling me to deceive somebody else. Now, a lot of you might say, well, that's just a little white lie. But I tell you, I began to feel a little bit of pressure. I sat there when he left the room, and I thought, what if I don't fool the pastor? I mean, what if the pastor knows that I already know? Then I started getting paranoid. I said, what if these two people, the head elder and the pastor, cooked this whole thing up to see whether or not I was really honest and reliable? Now, that might sound a little bit far-fetched, but here's my point. If I had agreed to pretend, I would have agreed to practice deceit. And that is never a good idea. Now, i got to tell you that when the pastor came in later, I said, uh, well, I'm a little familiar with the situation here, but I don't have your side of the story. So in the process, I did not break a confidence, and neither did I practice deceit. And by not practicing deceit, I wasn't choosing sides, and it made it a whole lot easier for me to approach this matter with wisdom. That's what Paul is saying here, friends. You want to put the whole armor of God on, put that belt of truth around here. You, he is calling you to live 
truthful, honest lives according to God's truth. Not according to this world's truth, but according to God's truth. Here's the second thing, the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate is kind of like a bulletproof vest. It protects your most vital organs. And that breastplate is made out of righteousness. And Paul is again talking about our behavior here. That's why he emphasizes, put on. Put it on. Now, he's talking to believers. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to Christ followers like you and me. He's not talking about the righteousness we receive when we at our point of our salvation. He's talking about doing some good works. Now, I've got to stop here because I know some people don't like the word good works. And to be quite honest, I really don't like that term either. But I want to make it clear that I'm not talking about working out your salvation. God has already done that for you through Jesus Christ. What I'm talking about is the process of being holy, the process of being sanctified. Good works, or what we might call right living, paves the way for God's strength in your life. He wants to protect your most vital area. The next one is feet fitted with readiness. Now, it's the same picture, but it's the only one I could find that had shoes attached to any armor. Anybody ever hear of the Beverly Hillbillies? You all know that show. Anybody remember the song they used to sing at the end of that? They would, they would say, uh, they'd invite you back to have what? A heaping helping of our hospitality, right? And then he would say, sit down for a spell, take your shoes off. Now, the idea was that you should relax, make yourself at home, take it easy, do nothing for a while, kind of like a Sunday afternoon after church. Paul is saying the exact opposite here. Paul is saying, get your shoes on, keep your shoes on, get busy. He's talking about your behavior again. He said, you've got to be ready to go, you've got to be ready to move. You know, pastors are always told, you know, we ought to be prepared in season and out of season to give answers. That's not just pastors. You know, get your shoes on, be ready for whatever God has in store for you. Here's the next one, the shield of faith. Actually, Roman soldiers had two kinds of shields. They had one smaller one, round, that they would use when they were in kind of hand-to-hand -hand close combat. But they also had another shield. It was a pretty large one when they went into combat. It was about four and a half feet high. It was about two feet wide. And they would use it when they would advance as an army. Now, each soldier would stand side by side holding this big shield up, and the enemy would be faced with this kind of solid wall uh, of shields, row after row after row. Now, this kind of made them impenetrable, and that's what faith does. It makes you impenetrable, especially when? When you're marching side by side with your fellow soldiers. This morning, we're actually going to sing onward Christian soldiers. I was tempted to say, let's march while we do it. <laughs> we should have our shields of faith out there, and we will be impenetrable as we march in faith for God. Now, again, Paul's talking about our behavior here. He's not referring to some creed that you acknowledge intellectually. You know, we're going to have a, an affirmation of faith. You kind of go, look at it, you go, okay, yeah, I believe that. What he's really talking about is putting that faith or whatever you say in action. 
Now, he also talked about fiery darts, and that's where I, I found this picture, you know, because they used to shoot flaming arrows at the soldiers. And now these shields were covered with leather. And so what the Roman soldiers used to do was soak that leather in water before they went into battle, so when those fiery darts hit that shield, it would put out the fire. Guess what? Your faith provides you with the same protection. When you advance side by side with your fellow soldiers, your faith protects you from anything the, the enemy throws your way. Here's the next one, the helmet of salvation. Paul's talking about the way we think. And believe me, there are some of you, uh, some of us, I shouldn't say some of you, I include myself, some of us who practice what I call stinking thinking. And believe me, I have been assaulted and insulted by stinking thinking my entire life. Some of it comes out of my own mouth. And a lot of it I've heard comes out of other people's mouths. But Paul's talking about the way we think. You know, like a helmet protects your head. Salvation does too when you meditate on it. Now remember, Paul is talking to people who are already believers. He's not asking you to be saved. He's just saying, use your salvation to protect your head. He's like, come on, folks. Think about it. Think about it. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you, do you know why I can't really give in to despair? I, the reason I, I don't think I can give in to despair, no matter how bad things get, it's because God's salvation protects my head. It protects my thinking. I mean, when I think about what God has done for me and what God promises for me, I can't believe in despair even in the darkest of my days. I'm not a very good worrier either. You know why I'm not particularly very good at worrying? It's because God's salvation protects my head. I mean, when, when I think about God's salvation, it's difficult to see things as out of God's control. And guess what? If it's, in God's, if it's not out of God's control, why should I worry about it? See, no matter how bad things are, they seem today, I know because of his salvation that he's worked in me, those things are only temporary. He promises, ultimately, a bright and wonderful future for all believers. So you've got to let salvation protect your head. Cut out the stinking thinking. Think right. Think on the good things. Here's the next one. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, is what Scripture says. Now, Paul isn't referring to the Bible. Paul is not saying... You know, the sword of the Spirit, which is your Bible. Anybody know why he's not talking about the Bible? There wasn't one. <laughs> Good. There wasn't one. The New Testament had not been completely written. It had not been compiled. And guess what? He doesn't even use the word logos in the Greek. He doesn't say the sword of the Spirit, which is the logos, the word of God. He uses another word. Go to the next screen for me, will you? He uses a Greek word which is rima. Rima. Rima literally means a saying. Grab onto the sword of the Spirit, which is a saying of God. Now, it refers not to a general word. It refers to a specific word. For example, you can call the Bible logos. It's a general word. It's all about a whole lot of stuff. But John 3.16 is a rhema word. 
It is a specific word. Now, this sword of the Spirit is that specific word, that rhema word that God gives you at key times. Has it ever happened to you in your life that you were doing or saying or thinking something and this word of God suddenly came to you? Happens to me. I'm going to tell you a little bit later why it doesn't happen to some of you. More often than not, it's like a scripture that applies to a specific situation. I'm going to give you an example. A couple of months ago, I was at a meeting. I was having a discussion round table with four or five other pastors. We were not arguing. We were just having a healthy disagreement. One of the guys began to say something that I um, didn't really want to hear, and I began to open my mouth to say something to cut him off, but right before I did, God did, <laughs> it popped up this Bible passage in my head. It comes from the book of Proverbs, and I can't really remember where it's, where it's at, but it says, he who answers before listening, that is to his folly and to his shame. And so I just shut my mouth, and I let him finish what he was saying. And later, we were all able to come to an agreement. But that word of God, that rhema, if you will, that sword of the Spirit pierced that conversation and enabled us to find a solution. See, your weapon for spiritual warfare is this same sword, this same specific word of God that God speaks to you for specific situations. Now, do you know what that means? Some of you are probably saying, Never happened to me, Pastor. Well, could it be that you don't have any words stored in you? You can't bring something up from a dry or empty well. What this is saying is you've got to spend a lot of time in the Word. Psalm says, you know, help me so I might hide my word in my hide your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. See, the Bible, you've got to have it in there so God can use it to speak specific words into your life. Now, Paul tells us to put on the full armor of God. Now, you don't need to remember breastplate and belt and all the other stuff, but you do need to remember this again. You and I are in a spiritual battle, a battle that we can win only through the strength of God. And in order to experience that strength of God, you need to do certain things. You need to live truthfully. You need to do those good works as a, re a flow out of your salvation. You need to be ready to go wherever God sends you. You need to be faithful, which just means to be full of faith. You need to think about your salvation and listen to God's word. That's the full armor of God. It enables you to stand against the devil's schemes. Nancy may remember this, but I remember buying Joshua a T-shirt when he was younger. I don't know, three or four years old. I saw it in a Christian bookstore, but on the front it said, Don't fight naked. And on the back it said, Put on the whole armor of God. Some of you have been fighting naked. I don't know any other way to say it. you got to... You got the full armor of God there. Put it on. Keep it on. If you don't have it on, get it on. 
But you know, there's one more weapon we haven't talked about yet. It's your greatest weapon. Next screen, your greatest weapon is prayer. I got a picture of a modern-day warrior up there. And look at that modern-day warrior. He's not too big to get down on bended knee. He's probably got some of the greatest equipment in the world, but he knows where his greatest strength ultimately lies. It's in prayer. Verse 18 that Sue read to you before said, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers, all kinds of requests. With this in mind, always be alert and always keep praying for the saints. See, Paul's strategy for prayer is really amazingly simple. He says, in every event, all during the day, pray and use all kinds of different prayers. Why? Because when you pray, you are submitted to God. You are on your knee in front of him. And if you read James chapter 4, verse 7, another one, a great one to pop up in your head sometimes, it says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And guess what? It goes on. It says, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will run like a little sissy. <laughs> well, that's my interpretation. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The friends, life in the, in the war zone, it is a war zone. Every day we're on the battlefield, and the only way you can win this battle is through God, God's strength. But in order to get it, you must put on that belt of truth to live truthfully and honestly. You need to put on that breastplate of righteousness and do those good things God has prearranged for you to do. To put on your shoes and be ready for wherever God wants to send you. And to put on that shield of faith to be ready to live by faith. And to take that helmet of salvation and fill your mind with thoughts about what God's salvation means to you. And then get into the Word. And let God's voice, and listen to God's voice so that you can hear those specific words that God wants to speak to you in your life. But most of all, what does he say? Pray. Pray on all occasions. Pray all kinds of prayers. I guess that would mean short prayers, long prayers, medium-sized prayer. You know, those little, those little arrow prayers you shoot up. Oh, some of the greatest prayers in the Bible, I bet, were really short. How about when Jonah was being swallowed by the big fish? I bet this was his prayer. Help! <laughs> he didn't have time to go, oh, theist and thouist and mayest and beseechest. <laughs> it was just, it was a quick prayer. You ever say one of those? <laughs> Lord! <laughs> All kinds of prayers. And for everyone. We talked about that last week in Valentine's Day. Even your enemies. Even those people you have a hard time getting along with. Do this and what does Paul say? Paul says you will stand your ground. And when the battle is over, you'll still be standing. All for God's glory. May God bless that in all of our lives for Jesus' sake. Amen.